The Not Your Usual Podcast is brought to you by Glava, the one and only tangerine honey spiced whiskey liqueur. Glava's origins are bathed in bold experimentation. Born in Leith in 1947 and awarded a record 15 times at the International Wine and Spirit Competition, this unique liqueur is rich, it's sweet, it's warming, and it's wonderfully versatile. Fearlessly pioneering far-flung spice bursts, Glava is most definitely not your usual. Hello and welcome to Not Your Usual, a new podcast from the team at the Skinny magazine and Glava, where we speak to exciting people from across the Scottish cultural scene who are doing things a little differently from the usual. And we are joined today by the mighty Adura Orishili. Um Adura is a triple threat talent based in Glasgow. She is an actor, writer and director who's worked across television, theatre and film. Her plays include Expensive Shit and Hila both of which won awards at the Edinburgh Fringe. Adura adapted Expensive Shit as a short film, which also went to win awards, including the Best Scottish Short at Glasgow Short Film Festival. And Adura has been extremely busy this year, as her debut feature, Girl, has been on a celebrated run at film festivals across the world, including Glasgow Film Festival, London Film Festival and Sundance Film Festival, where it had its world premiere. So Adura, a huge welcome to Not Your Usual. How are you? Oh, hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. What an introduction. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm always a bit nervous to do these introductions after uh, TAR. I don't know if you saw that, where people read out their accolades. So hopefully that was, uh, I got every, hopefully everything was correct. That's all, that's all I hope for. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. Thank you very much. <laughs> so alongside our conversation, I'll be trying the Galavant, which is a Glava glocktail that's made with Glava whiskey liqueur, Sweet Vermouth, White Mackay Whiskey, and Angostura Bitter. So, unfortunately, we couldn't get this to Adura, so we're going to just have to do a fake cheers across Zoom, Adura, if that's okay. Cheers. Cheers, Jamie. So, I'm going to have a taste. Ooh, that is, uh, that is delicious, actually. It's very warming. <laughs> it's uh, very boozy. You know, it feels like you should be kind of drinking it, you know, in a cabin in the woods with a kind of roaring fire and some, some nice jazz on the record player, maybe, you know. Ella Fitzgerald would, comes to mind. Yeah, ha, have you actually ever worked in a bar, Adura? Have you like I know you obviously you're an actor, um, and actors have always had to kind of ply their trade elsewhere. Have you ever uh, worked behind a bar, made cocktails? Absolutely, I've worked in pubs, worked in bars, worked in restaurants, waitressing. It feels like uh, it's uh, a rite of passage for all performers working in bars. So yeah, I when I first came to Glasgow. 13 years ago now, I worked in a bar in the Merchant City. So the bar I used to work at, I can't remember its name actually, it closed soon afterwards. Um, but I also worked in Blackfriars and yeah, well, did Black- my time. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to be putting too many cocktails in Blackfriars, that's a bit more of a traditional pub, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, your career started as an actor though, so uh, can can you remember... Um, you know, when you were younger, you know, what was that drive? Because maybe tell us a bit about your background. You know, how, how did you get started? It's really funny. I just have to say I wasn't particularly good at any other subjects apart from sort of English literature and theatre studies and drama at secondary school, as in I did really well in those subjects and then didn't do very well in the other subjects. So it wasn't so much that I had a burning desire to be an actor. I just really liked stories. I really liked language. And those were the subjects I did well in. So uh, I ended up doing theatre studies, sociology, and English Lit and Lang for A-levels. And then 
yeah, just moved into it. In high, at the time, that's what it felt like. In hindsight, I think probably that attraction to storytelling started at a much younger age. I had a family member that was an actress, and I remember seeing her on TV. This wasn't in the UK. This was in Nigeria. And, um, and I remember being really impressed by that. And she was the first person that took me to a theater show when I would have been about six, I think, or seven. And it was an open air sort of theater production. And I still remember that really vividly and how, uh, enthralling the performance was. So I think probably the seed was sown very early, but I don't think I fully felt like it was something I could do till much later. So, so did you have in, any heroes or were, were there people on screen or people, um, you know, uh, who you were looking up to? Did you have any kind of like, you know, who was on your walls when you were a kid? When I was a kid, mostly musicians were on my walls, actually, not actors. Like, you know, I loved the music of the 40s and 50s. So I was like a real jazz head when I was like 16, 17. But, but the kinds of people I had on my wall were people like Prince, um and to a less much lesser extent madonna but um yeah the music i was more into was sort of like the jazz age and billy holiday and uh people like that not so much actors no no not really but acting brought you to scotland because you grew up in london but i believe it was it was a role in scotland that brought you up here is that right yeah exactly i came up to do a show called roadkill which was written by Steph Smith and directed by Cora Bissett, which I'm sure um, many of your listeners might know. Of course. She's a kind of stalwart in sort of Scottish theatre now. And um, and I had never, ever visit, visited Glasgow before that. And I remember the journey from Central to Deniston in the back of a cab. And I just, in, I was immediately sort of, overwhelmed by how beautiful the architecture of the city was and then meeting folk you know just meeting everyone was so friendly and salt of the earth and it felt like it was an art scene that was really accessible and open and which felt like quite a contrast to what I was used to in London and uh, yeah after we did a show called the show at the fringe I stayed for another four weeks just to see what it would be like and and then I decided to move <laughs> yeah. so quite crazy yeah and you've been working up here very solidly ever since you know you're doing obviously a lot of stage work um you've been working as an actor on television as well recently um you know do you have a preference do, how, how is it how is it how does it differ you know going from the stage to the screen I mean, I, I, my screen work is very limited. I'm mostly a theatre artist and now working behind the scenes in film. Um, I really had that much experience working as an actor on television. And I do find it very different. It's a, it, it, I think the television feels a lot quieter. You don't have to as much. Um, you have to communicate. You're, you, you don't have to be as large in your gestures. It's all very sort of muted and you have to, and there's in, and in that, in that way that your performance is sort of more focused, you're able to communicate in a much simpler way, maybe direct emotion. 
which in theatre you might have to have a bit more largesse to communicate to a room full of, you know, kind of like, you know, the audience. Um, So I haven't had much experience, but I would say that's what I found most, like the biggest difference is just the quiet intensity of performance uh, for TV. Yeah, and I've always uh, I've always heard that theatre is more fun, you know, because there's a lot of sitting around in TV and waiting on people and you know makeup and which uh, whereas uh, I guess I guess theatre is more immediate. Yeah, it's more immediate, and I think the thing about and I think that there's obviously screen actors that work a lot are very good at it. That thing of waiting around for a long time and then once it's once you're called and it's action, you're able to turn it on immediately. And obviously you have a few takes, but once once you're done with the scene, that's it, done. And in theatre, you get to come back every night and yeah. do that, those scenes. And there's a feeling of it being live and immediate and changing and dynamic and that you get many goes at, at you get a, a good run at something where in TV, that's not the case. And like you say, you've moved more into um, writing and directing as well. So, I mean, I guess the first thing that I, I heard about you from was Expensive Shit. Yeah, so Expensive Shit was a huge hit at uh, Edinburgh French Festival. Um, well, how did that come about? So I had been working as an actor for a while, and then I'd done a, a solo show called Healer, which was my first attempt at writing. So I wrote myself a solo show, and... We took that to the fringe. It was directed by Graham Etoff, and we took it to the fringe in 2013. And it was such a great experience, kind of writing and writing a character for myself to play and the challenges of that, but also how that challenge just made me grow as an artist. So after that, I really wanted to write. And and to be honest, I really thought I probably had just one chance at this. So I threw everything at this play. <laughs> um, I'd always wanted to write about the dancers from Felakuti Shrine in Nigeria and I always wanted to write about toilet attendants and I'd heard about this story of the shimmy club where there was a two-way mirror in the ladies' toilets and uh, that, that women didn't know about and I put all these things into one play which now I look back at and it's like, wow, like there was like a big ambition, like the the play moved from the protagonist's youth in Nigeria in her teens in Felakuti Shrine and then jumped forward in time to a nightclub in Glasgow. And it did that all the way through. And I wish I could tell you there was some rhyme or reason <laughs> to how it jumped back and forth. But really, I just wanted to show this background that she had and, and this life that she had before and how different it was to the life that she had now. And I think there was just like, I think my ignorance of playwriting actually in one way allowed me to take those risks where maybe if I'd been trained as a playwright, I would have been much more cautious about being so kind of dynamic with the shifts in time and place. Um, and I look back at that and I think that being able to, to work like that kind of influenced my work has influenced my work ever since because I like taking risks and I like trying things out that maybe don't necessarily make sense but <laughs> are a challenge and sometimes in that challenge you find you find beauty so it was a big deal putting on the show at the Traverse you know I'd never done anything like that and I wrote and directed it and I had four amazing actors and and um, it was a full production and you know 
when you present work at the fringe, it can feel like, you know, it can feel like a competition because you're trying to get good reviews, you're trying to get bums on seats, and it can feel very exposing. Thankfully, I had a good team around me and the show did quite well. And um, that's that's down to all the people that worked at the Travers and the people on the team. And yeah, I was really grateful for the experience in the end. And, and was there a moment uh, during that run where you thought, OK, um, I feel I feel good now, like, you know, that th- we're getting good reviews, good audiences? Honestly, Jamie, no. <laughs> um, I just, I, I, I had the fear the whole month. I don't know, it was weird. I think just because it was the first full, well, it was an hour long, the first play I'd really written for other people, the first sort of small-scale theatre production I directed, I think I just had a lot of fear. And even though we got good reviews, I couldn't ever quite relax because uh, it felt like, all eyes were on us, like a lot of uh, like a lot of people who present work at the bigger venues in the fringe, like Summer Hall and like the Traverse. It can feel like you get a lot of attention, and I could never quite sit comfortably comfortably with that because I was new to it. You know, as an actor, I, I I was used to that kind of attention from audiences, but never as a writer director. So it took it took me a few goes at that role to feel comfortable and that first time no I, I didn't I was I was nervous the whole fringe well you got a second chance to work on expensive ship because then you adapted it um as a short film which again like I say uh, went on to great success so how did that um adaptation come about well interestingly the, the, my the, the producers of both the feature and the short film expensive ship um came to see the play Expensive Shit and got in touch with me and said, There's, you write in a, this really dynamic way and with this very visual style and we think you might be able to write for film. Now, I had never, nobody I knew worked in film, nobody I'd ever known work, had worked in film. Of course, I had actor friends that were, that kind of acted on screen, but nobody behind the scenes. And I think I was just very excited to try it out, but I never thought anything would come of it. And I was immediately grabbed by the idea of turning expensive shit into a film because I do write really visually. If I can avoid, if I can avoid dialogue, I would. So a lot of my scenes are without dialogue. And, and in the play, obviously, there was a lot of dialogue, but there was a style that felt very visual. So the, the opportunity to turn it into a short film felt very exciting to me. It's a completely different story. Like making a short, turning the play into a short film meant that obviously it's like 10 to 15 minutes long. It's in one location. It's a short film budget. So, you know, one location, less characters. And maybe you have to hit the ground running in a way where in theatre you can take your time. So in adapting it, I learned a lot about screenwriting and directing. I loved it. I loved every minute of turning the play into a film and then shooting the film, editing the film, and then putting it out there. It's a great experience. And when it comes to film, do, do you have influences? Are there other um, filmmakers who work work you followed, or does your influence come from theatre? Do you think? I think it's a kind of a mix. I, I look at the people that I really love the early work of, like Lars von Trier, or and I look at maybe some of the even the work from the sixties, like Elia Kazan. I think there's a theatricality in film that I've always been really attracted to. Hitchcock as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I feel like those sorts of films that feel very tight in their storytelling and feel very tense, 
and they have like a story engine in them. Those those are the type of films I've always been really excited by. And I think that there is a natural sort of theatricality to them. There's a kind of um, heightened sensibility to those films. And I, uh, yeah, and, and I think that comes from my theatre background. But, but obviously there's also a filmic, obviously, tradition of that. And then more recently, I think I've been really amazed by the work of Steve McQueen, both his work as a visual artist and his work as a kind of like a narr- in narrative fiction. So, yeah, I think I think without knowing it, I've always been really attracted to certain types of film. And and there's a correlation between them and my theatre background. And that, that comes into play in my own film work. And then talking about film work, obviously um, this year you've had a very busy year because The Girl has been playing everywhere and it's about to be released um, next month. So can you tell us a bit about Girl? Um, again, it's a, a similar to Expensive Shit. It's another migrant story, but very different, I think. Um, much more intimate. So could you tell me about that? Yeah, um, it is very, very different. And it's uh, I, I think about it like a love story between a young single mother and her daughter. And as the daughter comes into puberty, the mother has to come to terms with how the daughter was conceived and the trauma in the in the way that the daughter was conceived. And the film is really grace the mother's sort of exploration in coming to terms with facing her trauma in order to become a better mother. <laughs> I'm laughing because you'd think after all this time I'd be I'd have a pithy way of like <laughs> talking about this film but yeah it it always feels like it takes me some time to tell that story in a kind of quick way but that's essentially the story and it's very intimate and that was it was my way of sort of exploring a claustrophobic relationship in an epic way in in sort of quiet epicness I like to call it I mean I, I guess what when I initially saw Girl I was struck by the way you shot the flat um, you know, which turned it into this kind of very dreamy, otherworldly place with these kind of overhead shots and the lighting and the set design was very dreamy. Can you talk about creating that atmosphere? Because it's, it's very much, um, you know, it's set in Glasgow, but this flat becomes a real character in the film. Absolutely. Um, I think that for me, I'm always fascinated by juxtapositions. Like, I think that often when you are portraying or when I see working class black life, portrayed it can often feel like it doesn't have much beauty in it especially if you're dealing with uh, situations that feel quite traumatic or are traumatic and that's never I don't think that's really the reality or it doesn't always have to be I think beauty and love can sit next to trauma quite closely and so in with Grace the mother and Amma's lives I wanted to show the beauty and love in their relationship. Uh, and that felt really important to me. And so part of the way I wanted to capture that was in the poetry of how we shot them and the lyricism with which we shot them. Those, you know, either overhead shots or lingering shots or lots of close-ups so that you felt a real intimacy with these characters. And I think that sometimes with stories like this, it can feel like the story takes over the characters or the story is the most important thing. And for me, I just wanted us to watch this mother and daughter more about who they were than what was happening to them. So then it becomes really important how, they, how they're how dressed, how they're framed, 
how the camera treats them. And all those things became like a delicate exploration of intimacy and love and hope, I think. And you have this really interesting dynamic between the mother, who's, who's Grace, and uh, the daughter, who's Amma, um, because Grace is scared of the outside world. She, she does not like her new home. Um, but Amma, who's about 12, I believe, 11, 12, um, she's like desperate to explore. She's looking out the window. She's like, studying the flats across the way like she's in a Hitchcock movie. So can you talk about that central pairing, that central dynamic, where that kind of initial idea came from? I think I've always been fascinated by how the lines can be blurred when you have a young single mother and a, a, a young daughter. And that's how I grew up. So the, the story is not autobiographical, but I guess it's inspired in, in a sense by my relationship with my mom. And I'm, a sing, I'm the only child of a single mother. And often there are blurred lines, you know, are we sisters? Are we best friends? Are we mother and daughter? And I wanted to push that to the extreme in girl. And I think for me, the the fear that Grace has is to do with the trauma and violence in her past. And she has worked really, really hard to protect Emma from what she believes is the potential of that violence reoccurring again. And she creates this safe space, this haven, this paradise, if you like, in their flat. But Amma's a 10-year-old who's always going to want to know more. She's just doing what all kids do. She wants to be out in the world and make friends and discover other things. And these feel like a threat to Grace's very carefully built existence for them. And ultimately, uh, what starts as a threat to Grace becomes her redemption. But for me, it was definitely about kind of exploring both the intimacy and love of that relationship, but also it's claustrophobia. And uh, people have asked me, why do you call it girl? And I think it's because in a way, Grace, although she's 24, has had a kind of arrested development. She's stuck in the violence of her past. And obviously, Amma is 10 years old. And the film is really a coming of age of both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, as much as, um, as much as Grace feels that she doesn't want to go in the outside world, Glasgow is also very much part of the film and obviously um, there are kind of instances of racism in the film there is a kind of threat there but also you paint Glasgow in quite a warm and welcoming way as well and and obviously as mm-hmm. someone who moved to Glasgow who, who clearly likes the city was that important for you to kind of show Glasgow in a different light as well? I mean that's the thing isn't it like I think uh, you can have both experiences and I think sometimes humans find it difficult to come to terms with like sort of opposing uh, experiences and yes, racism exists in Glasgow, but it's also really friendly city. And you can have both experiences. And I think I, I felt it was important to show that. But ultimately, Grace and Emma are helped and loved and taken care of by the community, even though that there are those moments uh, that, that are really tough to deal with that are about racism and exclusion. Yeah, and I think it's just nice to see a story about a mother and a daughter. And actually, it's actually a film with several kind of uh, relationships because the daughter also forms a very kind of sweet bond with a, a girl from across the way. Is that something you want to explore? You know, these stories that don't get told very much. Basically, you know, these these stories about female friendship, uh, female bonds between mother and daughter. Uh, they're kind of quite rare in cinema, actually. They are quite rare in cinema, and that was kind of like why I wanted to explore it. But I think 
that relationship is being explored more and more in other films. So clearly there was a zeitgeist moment where where there's a sense of a desire for the industry to tell story the type of stories it hasn't been telling. And and I think that's a good thing that there are lots of different sorts of films about the same themes of family and isolation and um and uh and maybe the relationship immigrant sort of experiences i think all those things are really important is it something i always want to do no like i i feel like i'll always be interested in telling a story from a different point of view but the types of stories i'm interested in can be kind of all sorts really so the expensive shit is very very different to to girl and i hope my next film is also very different to the other two and i and i feel like i just want to keep exploring because i think the form is determined by the story and the characters so it makes sense to me that you keep changing it up and obviously as i mentioned the film has kind of been playing all over the world since its debut at sundance um back in january can you talk about how it's been received elsewhere do you find do you do you sit in and watch the film do you do you uh, do you like to hear how audiences and and has it been received differently in different places okay jamie i have to tell you something yeah. i've only sat i've only sat with an audience to watch the film once okay. but i've been to about six or seven different festivals with the film and it's because i can't handle it i find it nerve-wracking to sit with an audience and i end up watching the audience more than I watch the film and I've experienced it once and thankfully it was a nice experience it wasn't as bad as I expected but it's not something I'm <laughs> it's not something I'm gonna rush to do again and also I think there's a part of me in it and I think maybe because of my theater background you know you once you've done the show you can't repeat it yeah. it's done right and I think there's something for me about I've made the film, it's done, my work is done, it now exists somewhere outside of me and I have no control over it. And I think maybe that's also why I don't want to sit and watch it and re-watch it all the time. But what I do love doing is engaging with people after they've seen it. And I think it's the kind of film uh, that you have to sort of let wash over you. I I sort of call it a mood piece sometimes because it is... It is slow, deliberately. It does ask of a certain type of attention from its audience that maybe they're not used to giving characters like this. And those things feel really, it feels really important that we achieve those things. Myself, the cinematographer Tash Back, our absolutely phenomenal production designer, Soraya Giolani, even stuff like the score by Ray Linegar, all of them are asking all these elements are asking the audience to watch this film in a slightly different way. Um, so yeah, I think some people have responded really well to that and that's meant a lot to us. Yeah. Can I ask what, uh, what screen did you sit in on? Uh, can you reveal that? <laughs> yeah, I sat in uh, at a film festival called Black Star, uh, which is in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, and it was, and I think the reason I was able to sit in was I maybe it was the middle of the whole festival tour of the film. So it was like three festivals after Sundance and it was like three festivals before London Film Festival. So it was like in the middle of the film's journey. I didn't think I'd, 
I'd summoned up enough courage to do it. Yeah, by that point. And obviously, you actually had a big homecoming uh, screening because it was the opening film of Glasgow oh, Film Festival. Yeah. Um, that, that must have been quite an honour. Honestly, I think for me, that was the premiere of the film. Of course, Sundance is an amazing festival, and it was phenomenal that we were premiering there. But Glasgow, bringing it home, bringing it to this city I love in front of audiences, in front of friends and family, it meant the world. It's like, one of the greatest moments I think in my artistic career and I was very very proud and honoured that the film festival chose it to present it in the way that they did felt amazing and you mentioned that you want to make all different types of films do you have anything in the works is there anything that you're you're planning to do is there an ambition uh, any film you would love to make any ad- adaptation well I I think I really like genre films and I really like thrillers So there's a desire in me to tell that sort of story. And I hope that I get the opportunity to. I mean, you know, with something like Girl, you can be a bit more experimental, maybe with drama. But with a thriller, there's specific tropes and specific ways that you tell the story. And it's within those structures that you have freedom. And that feels very exciting to me. So something like that would be be great to do if they ever let me do a second feature. (laughs) And I also just want to ask, do you see yourself going forward as this uh, artist who also acts and also does theatre? Do, do you do you want to keep your uh, foot in all these different art forms that you're um, currently working in? I think more and more I'd like to maybe focus on writing and directing for theatre and writing and directing for film and possibly TV as well. I think... Sometimes with acting, there are very specific projects that I would really love to act in. And then the rest of the time, I, I just don't feel like I have maybe the capacity or the talents to to do some roles. But there's some things that if I feel like they move me on as an artist in other areas of, of my work, then I will definitely take them on as acting gigs, if you know what I mean. But generally, I think I, I want to be in the background these days. Yeah. Okay, even after doing, because obviously you did that huge role of Medea, one of the kind of classic, um, you know, great roles in, in theatre. Um, just, uh, was that a couple of years ago now um, for uh, the International Festival? Yeah, I, time just warps. I think it was last year. It was last year. I think it was last year. Medea and the classics, the Greek classics, had always been like a dream of mine when I was an actor. And I could never quite reach those heights, you know, like I just, it just never happened for me. And obviously I started diversifying and it was really mad that I got the audition for it after not properly acting for about five or six years. And I have to thank the NTS, National Theatre of Scotland for that. And for me, playing a character like that, like moves me on as an artist in, in all ways, because it's such a gigantuan thing to, for me anyway to get my head round and to achieve and to to explore. So yeah, Medea felt like, I don't know, you, not very many people get the chance to do that. And I'm so, so happy uh, I got the opportunity to do it. So <laughs> I guess the question you're say, asking me is, if leading parts like that came along, would I be an actor? If they pushed me and they really challenged me, yes. If I get the fear, that's when I know I should do something. And I got the absolute fear thinking about doing the day so yeah had to do it okay so any 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 playwrights or directors out there listening who want uh who, need, who needs a, an actor for a big juicy part 
uh, give Fedora a call. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, so, so Girl is not even out yet. You've still got a few weeks before that um, hit cinemas. Uh-huh. But um, is is there anything in the works? Is there anything we can look forward to after Girl? No, everything is at like uh, yeah, waiting to be commissioned or starting to write stage. So. I'd love to have something out there next year. I really would, but I, 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 I'm probably just going to be writing for the next six months or so. Yeah. Um, so, like we mentioned, Girl is coming out. Where, where can we see it, Adura? Girl is coming out on the 24th of November, but there are going to be screenings the week before that at the GFT, and then the hope is that we do uh, a run of uh uk cinemas after that but yeah the official release date is the 24th of november and you're going to be doing some cunies is that right absolutely going to be there with the film meeting audiences answering questions yeah okay we'll come along to that you will not see a in the audience since she refuses to watch her <laughs> film <laughs> but... it's not a good look is it i do think the film is good and i urge people to go and watch it i just personally it's like listening to a recording of your own voice it's cringeful um to to sit and watch but i do love the film and i love sharing it with audiences Okay, well, it was great chatting to you, Dura, and uh, best of luck with that release. I think I'm sure it'll go down amazing um, when it comes out. Um, and uh, yeah, and best of luck with everything else that's going to be coming up in the future. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This episode of Not Your Usual with Adura and Ashley was produced by Jamie Dunn and Peter Simpson for The Skinny Magazine. For more episodes of Not Your Usual, head to your favourite podcast app. And for more from Glava, visit glava.com. Oh.